الجزيرة بودكاست It's 1988, a balmy night in Rio de Janeiro. A jaw-dropping 180,000 fans have flocked to the Maracana Stadium, and their anticipation is filling the air. Tina Turner is on her Break Every Rule tour, and she's about to ignite the stage. Finally, the music starts. The stadium erupts in roaring applause. The rock and roll star made history that night. She broke the Guinness World Record for the largest paying concert attendance for a solo artist. It was the prime example of her status as an international icon. Last Wednesday, the singer died at 83 years old. We have some breaking news for you this hour. Singer Tina Turner has died at the age of 83. The eight-time Grammy Award winner was known as simply the best. She was mourned across the world, including in Switzerland, her home for over two decades. So just how far did Tina Turner's global success extend beyond the country where she was born? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Tina Turner was born in the state of Tennessee in 1939. But she was a bigger star outside of the U.S., especially in Europe. That's what she told U.S. journalist Larry King in a CNN interview in 1997. Europe has been very supportive of my music. More than America? Yes. Yes, hugely. Hugely more. It's, you're a major star here. You're a superstar in America. Not as big as Madonna. I'm as big as Madonna in Europe. I'm as big as, in some places, the Rolling Stones. In Europe? In Europe. One person who saw that success up front was Taro Gold. He's an author, singer, and actor who knew Tina Turner well. He wrote a book with her in 2020. But back in the 1980s, he even traveled with her on a global tour. I will never forget the faces of the audiences that I saw on that tour all around the world. It seemed like no matter where we went, no matter what age or race or gender of the people, Everybody would get teary-eyed, and some people would really start, like, outright just crying when Tina first appeared on the stage. And at first I thought, you know, well, maybe it's just like the super fans in the front rows, you know, because they're so close to Tina by the edge of the stage. But then I started wandering around the arenas sometimes and these huge stadiums that she filled up all around the world. And it was the same in the middle and the same in the back and the same in the balconies. And I was like, what's going on here, you know? I thought it was so beautiful, but it was really profound. It was very kind of magical and mystical. Turner's fame extended all the way to the port city of Dures, Albania. There's a life-size bronze statue of her on the city's main promenade. Tina Turner never gave a concert in Albania. She never visited Albania, but her statue is there. My name is Dr. Chelsea West Ohuri, and I am an assistant professor of Slavic and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. My research focuses on race and belonging in Albania. It's not surprising that she would have such a claim in an area where people truly love American rock and roll and also deeply relate to a story of perseverance and a story of hope. It's one that many Albanians, especially in the early 90s, were able to relate to. 
Tina Turner's story became well-known during her lifetime. She started out working with the man who would become her husband, Ike Turner, but he abused her physically and emotionally. She left him after many years together, and her reinvention made the superstar many people know today. All after the age of 40. She was inducted as a solo artist into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2021. It was really special when I heard that the Hall of Fame was giving me a trophy. If they're still giving me awards at 81, I must have done something right. As Chelsea explains it, her story of perseverance resonated with many people in Eastern Europe who suffered conflict and displacement in the 90s. Tina Turner is very popular across the region of Eastern Europe. She did shows in the 1970s in the former Yugoslavia. She also did shows in the 1980s in countries such as Bulgaria and Poland. And in Bulgaria, she also conducted a televised interview that some Bulgarians still talk about today. And she returned in the 1990s as part of her tour across Europe in various places such as Belgrade in Serbia. And her move to Switzerland solidified that bond across Europe even further. Eileen Schenkmann grew up listening to Tina Turner in Germany. I'm a fan of 80s music, and she was one of the stars of my childhood, which my mother introduced to me when I was a child. I think in the last few years, we started to perceive her more as a European. Since she lived in Switzerland and also spoke a bit of German, and she was very present in German media. She's been a great inspiration, I think, for a lot of women um, in my age, and especially in my uh, mother's age. Turner's success outside of the United States felt different to her, as she told interviewer Mike Wallace. Success in America, what I find with my homeland, nothing lasts very long. Europe is different. You're right there with them until you come back. And Europe wasn't the only place where Tina Turner had a huge impact. Her power also reached the other side of the world, in Australia. There's a particular dance that goes with one of her songs. In the rest of the world, it might be a deep cut. But in Australia, it's almost become a part of the national identity. The nutbush. The nutbush. The nutbush. The nutbush. It's a line dance routine based on the 1973 song, Nutbush City Limits. All this last week, Australians have been breaking out into the routine in honor of her life. Here's one of her fans in Sydney, Scott Dawkins. So if you're an 80s baby like me, in primary school, we were all taught a dance to the the nutbush. It's kind of like a line dance and... If you ask any Australian to do the nutbush, they'll be able to do it for you without question. And it's only later in life I have discovered that we're the only ones doing this dance. (laughs) I had no idea. J.D. O'Regan, a lecturer of contemporary music at the University of Sydney, has had a similar experience. It seems to only be very popular here in Australia, though I believe at the moment um, it's being spread internationally via TikTok, who love a great dance routine. Um, to all of you saying Australians have a no culture, um, what do you call this? Okay, uh, I'm pretty sure we're cultured. Okay! And JD says it's accessible. 
it's a very easy dance to do. There's a low barrier for entry. You don't have to be too coordinated. You don't need a partner. So, you know, your grandma could dance to the nutbush, but, you know, you could also dance with your kid's sister too. The craze over the nutbush is something that's bemused Andrew Thomas. He's from England, but he's been Al Jazeera's correspondent in Australia for a decade. The Nutbush, which frankly I'd never heard when I lived in Britain, that's a song that's played at every wedding, at every school disco. It's just a massive piece of the Australian cultural history. And Turner was also, perhaps surprisingly, a huge part of the cultural history around Australian sports. She was the face of Australian rugby league. They used her song, Simply the Best, as their anthem at every match for many, many years. And they're now playing it in all the stadiums to to honour her. For outsiders like Andrew, Australia's connection to Tina Turner has been a real surprise. All these elements combined mean that Tina Turner's death has had a massively outsized impact here in Australia. Really bizarre to an outsider like me, but nonetheless, very, very real. In Britain, I knew Tina Turner, of course, everyone did. But I hadn't realised, to be honest, until she died, how big a star she was here. She was so big that Scott actually thought Tina Turner was Australian. It came as a great shock when I (laughs) discovered she was not. Simply the best was the first CD I ever bought, um, if that tells you anything. But uh, Tina Turner is just beloved here. We love her music, we love her. What a performer, Uh, just an icon and she'll be really missed. After the break, the songs that shaped Tina's global fandom. On the Inside Story podcast this week, what's driving the summit of South American leaders in Brazil? Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tina Turner's global stardom really did reach far and wide. But it started in Turner's first home in the United States. Many people have that memory of that song that will stick with them. Here's Chelsea West Ohuri, who we heard explaining Turner's statue in Albania. My own connection to Tina's music started at a young age, listening to her songs with my dad, my mom, my grandmother, my uncle, especially on road trips in the car. I was singing What's Love Got to Do With It way before I knew what love had to do with anything. I have appreciated and loved Tina's music for a long time. But as an adult now, thinking about my own experiences as a Black child growing up in the Deep South, I have come even more to truly value Tina's story. For Andrew Coombs, an Al Jazeera producer who grew up in Wales, the song is River Deep, Mountain High. I think one of Tina's defining moments is her performance on River Deep, Mountain High. That's got a huge widescreen production by Phil Spector, probably the zenith of his wall of sound productions. But all one hears is Tina in that song. She just owns it. In part because you can really hear the power of her voice. Tina performed River Deep, Mountain High alongside then-husband Ike Turner, who she met at 17. The duo would go on to churn out numerous hits like Proud Mary, a cover song that Tina made her own over the decades. Proud Mary's popularity lasted throughout her career. Her abusive marriage to Ike did not. 
In fact, it was her decision to leave that marriage that propelled what many call a renaissance in her career. Here's Andrew Coombs again. I think one of the reasons she had such huge global appeal was not just her resilience after leaving her abusive husband, Ike Turner, with literally just a few cents in her pocket, but her absolute insistence that she would go on and make music on her own terms. But that transition wasn't without difficulties, including racism and sexism. I asked Stephanie Batten-Bland, a performer and assistant professor of theatre and dance, why she felt that was the case. I go through it inside of uh, dance theatre and immersive theatre, quite frankly. There's very few women of colour inside of these spaces. The niceties and the amount of situating yourself and defending and defining and showing that one has right to be is something that I think many artists uh, whose skin is not only of the European heritage share, right? Stephanie has spent years herself based in and performing in Europe. And to her, it makes sense for a global icon like Turner to go wherever she felt she was the best fit. Really now, I think people go where they go due to the opportunities that they have, quite simply. Growing up, Stephanie said it wasn't just Turner's art that had an impact on her, but also her style. Her hair was iconic, as Turner addressed herself. Even the color of the hair, being a Black woman, I think it's, um, I'm the only one that is with this shade, and so that's enough of a direct attention getter. She was the first person I saw that had hair like mine, of such volume and such pride of mane. And the size of that mane also told me that I had the right to, um, to be, you know, proud of mine. Taro Gold, Turner's co-author, says her presence had a spiritual aspect as well. So many people know about Tina's incredible, inspirational story of breaking through so many, you know, impossible situations in her life. Um, But I also believe that as I got to know the person, Tina, behind the scenes, she would chant uh, and pray for the happiness of her audiences for a whole hour before every show. She chanted Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, which is a primary form of prayer in Buddhism. And I think her sincerity, that purity of that that prayer, that she really wanted to to be whoever each person in the audience needed her to be that night to spark, you know, hope and joy and confidence in their own lives. I think that's what I saw in all those faces around the world. It was a reflection of Tina's pure-hearted wish for everybody's happiness. And her wish was so strong that she literally moved whole stadiums to tears. And so to, to me, that's the most diamond-like memory that I have of uh, Tina Turner as a human being as well as a superstar. And that's The Take. If you're a Tina Turner fan somewhere in the world that people might find surprising, we want to know. Reach out on Twitter or Instagram. We're at AJE Podcasts. This episode was produced by Sonia Bagat and Ashish Mahotra with Chloe K. Lee, Nagin Oliai, Miranda Lynn, Khalid Sultan, Amy Walters, David Enders, and me. Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tim St. Clair mixed this episode. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>